Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. On November the 1st. 2015 from Coolidge, Arizona. My, it's glad to see all of you. We have uh, always are pleased to see people tuned in. Sometimes we have some recording problems or reception problems or sending problems because of last week we had a windstorm going on. Uh, we don't have any control over that, so we do have those difficulties, but we're in the book of Acts, chapter 3, and we we know that uh, in this chapter we start out with Peter and John, and they had healed the lame man, and he'd been lame for a while. Uh, How long? Who can remember? Since he was born. Since he he was born from his mother's womb, he was lame. And uh, so lame that um, how did he get to the how, as a Jew, how did he get to the temple gate? He was taken there. He was carried there. And it says that he was carried every day, every day to the gate of the temple. So that's a big task for him. It's a big task for those who were doing the work. That's not an easy thing to be committed to and to carry out your commitment to. But they did. So every day he was taken there. That was the proper place for someone to go who was incapacitated and unable to work to go to beg of alms. Alms are those things that you give to someone who has no means of providing for themselves. And look who just walked in the door. I haven't seen nor heard of you for so long. How are you? Good. So that's an important part of the background. And and then when we get down to uh, uh, verse 8 of the chapter, um, these people who saw what Peter and John had done to this lame man that he had been instantly and fully and completely healed and able to, um, for them to take him, lift him up, and begin walking immediately. And uh, the people, uh, all the people in verse 9, after he had, gone, he had gone on into the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God, All the people saw him walking and praising God. They knew who he was. So there were witnesses to this event. And remember now that there was no crowd to begin with. When did the crowd appear? After the event, now there was a crowd gathering. Now today, if you go to a so-called healing service, When does the crowd appear? 
Before. They, it appears first. You have a big crowd. And, and um, so here we have the way it really worked with the apostles. And if it were true, it could work the same way. If it were true today, it would work the same way today. All right. <clears throat> so the people were all excited. And what caused them to have an emotional excitement was that there was an event. People sometimes look for emotion as a guide, but emotion is never a guide. It is the resultant of an event, or it's not a true emotion. You see that? Hear that? You got it? Because God will ask you that as first question when you die and go to him. So know the answer. It's like this. You don't know anything about it, but you're away from home. You're on the job, and your house catches on fire. And in the process, one of your little children gets burned to death. Now, I had that experience, and I was at work in Billings, Montana, and um, just prior to going back to graduate school, and uh, I got a message on the phone that uh, our house had burned. Well, that was quite an event. But now, before that time, I had had no emotion. I had no feeling. My feeling did not engender the situation. But what happened when I heard about what had happened, I had some feeling, right? Yeah. It was the event that engenders feel. Now that's what true emotion. That's how true emo, That's how you define emotion. It is how you feel about something that has really taken place. Whether it's joyful, whether it's sad, or whatever has happened, um, that's what anything that people use as a tool to manipulate is not emotion. People get how they feel about something. That if they feel write about something, it'll happen that way. That's just wishful thinking. That's not emotion. Emotion is your response to something that is statistically, I'll get it, uh, happen. You know, it's measurable. Something that you can identify that's a real happening and what it produces in you. So, Truth is what engenders. Information is what engenders emotion. Emotion does not create truth. You see my conclusion? And that's where the Christian church differs from the other religions in Coolidge. That's one of the big differences. Now you're really going to start making people mad. Oh, I'm going to make folks mad. Yeah. But truth is what engenders, or information is what engenders, and we're talking about true information, is what engenders true emotion. And emotion never creates the event or the truth. I think we can all see that. That's what happened here. Uh, <clears throat> the house is not on fire. 
you were afraid it was, I mean? No, what I mean was while I was at work and my house was burning, until I had heard and found out about it, I had no emotion. I didn't know. You know, whether it was burning or whether it wasn't, you have no emotion, but when you find out it was and had, now you have a you have an emotional response. It's an it's a response that you have to an event. Did I, am I clear to, to your question or not? Yes, I'm, I'm not sure. Event. That's right. It's the response to an event. Um, you know, if, if if any of you got a call today that was positive, you just got a million dollar uh, settlement on something, but you don't know about it. When do you get a feeling about it? When you know it. When you know about it. See, knowledge is what engenders true emotion. And that's what we need to... I'm so glad to see you. I'm glad to see you, too. Oh, what's that? You, well, I, I am. Um, I, I do do a little bit of bluffing. <laughs> what was that, Abner? Oh, I Oh, okay. You're sure? Okay. But if, if, if you would have had... Perhaps, David, if you would have had the true spirit or, or if you were more in touch with your inner David or something, you would have known that this was happening before anyone told you, right? Or is that just something that has been made up by people? Now, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pulling your chain a little, but... Well, I'm pulling it right back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I see where you're going with this with the man who was lame. And it's absolutely true, and it, absol it absolutely cuts the faith healing in half. It does. That's right. You've got the point. So we can move on then. If we've got the point, we can move on. If someone's approaching someone for the healing, which, by the way, didn't that happen in, you know, the Word? It did happen. How about the woman? No story has impressed the kids in class more than the woman who crawled and touched the hem of his garment. Yeah, for healing. And she was healed. And Christ knew something happened. Of course, yeah. he knew, but that part of it is maybe not easily gra graspable by us, you know, if there's a word like that. No, but, yeah. But, but that was... That's a whole nother part of this that that people have taken and applied to themselves for power and position. It's evil. And you know how many pieces of that robe that he wore that day that she grabbed it and actually tugged on it? We, you know how many of pieces about, about how many fragments there are worldwide? While there's oh. enough to dress, you know, make every every circus tent. In the world, out of that, those little fabrics that are sold, because if you touch them, you will too be healed. No, David, you actually, <laughs> we've actually spent some time in class talking about that story, and you had some good information on that garment, what it was, and why it was, why it was wearing it. Yeah, there's some very valid, valid reasons. That's another, you know, uh, uh, you know, time where scripture proves itself. With time and you know circum 
circumstance and, and all the rest of it, too. And that age was a separate, as we come into the end of the Judistic age, yes. a lot of things were happening because it had to usher in a new age based on the foundation laid by Christ and the apostles. And so a lot of things were taking place there that would make the evidence verifiable. Okay. Just one last comment, and then I'll be quiet. No. Those people all died. Everybody who died, even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, died. Everyone who was healed died. There isn't one single... I, I can guarantee this. I don't usually say that phrase. That's a cheap phrase. I can guarantee this. Oh, no, I can. It'll take a while, but we can do it. That everyone who was healed in New Testament times have all died. Everybody that Jesus healed died. Everybody that he or the apostles raised from the dead were dead by the end of that generation. Every one of them. I don't know about that, David. It does say that most of them will not will not taste death until Christ returns. So they must be still walking around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they live in some way. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we get the point, don't we? And when and, and see that's why a lot of folks reject the Bible, including people like we've had on one of our classes recently in the last two or three weeks. Um, well, David, you know, I've heard you talk about your father, and his love lives on in you, and yeah. the way that you shared it's the same with me and my family. Yeah. But so dad's not here, but his love. I well, the things that they did, the things that they carried, um, that we pick up on, we are the extension of that. Surely. So Paul was right. The greatest gift gift is love. Yeah, because it. it what does he say in First Corinthians um, thirteen? And that abides forever. Amen. Gifts cease. Speaking in tongues comes to an end. Healings end. That's First Corinthians thirteen eight to ten. All of those things pass away, but. The one thing that outlasts all of those things is love. Okay. So the response of those who had known this lame man was almost equal to the lame man's response. They had seen him all of their lives, or at least all of his life, and now... It says they were filled with amazement at which it had happened unto him. They were amazed. There was nobody saying, duh. No, this was real. This was real. And so that drew a crowd. And in verse 12, we have a reason for that crowd. When Peter, this is the beginning of Peter's second sermon. 
And who is Peter addressing in verse 12 of chapter 3? Men of Israel. Ye who? Men of Israel. Now he's going, that's right. Now he, he's going to uh, speak to them directly. And he's going to tell them a series of mistakes that they've made. What's the first mistake that he tells these people to whom he's speaking? What is the first mistake he brings to their attention about what they've done? Is that in verse 12? Oh, no, that's not. I'm already, yeah, don't, don't get ahead of Why are you looking at us in amazement? Yeah, their first, their first error, their first mistake in his speech um, is that they were thinking now that Peter and John had done this. And now there's a crowd. Now there's a crowd. Where there wasn't a crowd before, there is now. Now there's a crowd. And now we have Peter taking advantage of the crowd after the fact of the healing. And he tells them, he begins now a series of mistakes that they've made telling them about it. Gutsy, wasn't he? So you think, why are you looking so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man walk? You should know better from what you've experienced in the past. And we have, by the way, that was a part of our lesson last week. You know, who, who this miracle was, um, uh, where it came from. We order, we... We notice that all miracles begin with God, and then through from God through Christ, and then from Christ through the apostles. And there the chain ends. Any miracle that happens without an apostle is not true miracle. Because the purpose of the miracles were to confirm a message. That's Second, that, that's Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Um, so don't call these things that happen out here miracles, folks. They're not miracles. It's not a miracle unless some truth has been revealed and the miracle is confirming the authenticity of that truth and that it was and did originate from God. Because God is the provider of the miracle through either his son or through the apostles. And it says that when his word is complete, that's 1 Corinthians 13 again, all of those things will cease. So don't you ever hear me say, or I will tweak your note, that a miracle has taken place today because there is no an incomplete message of God to man. Everything that God has has been revealed. We have it. There can be no miracles because a miracle is something that confirms a message. It is never for the sake of the healing alone. People need to get a handle on that and quit tolerating these folks out here who keep talking about miracles. They're not miracles. We may not have every we may not have an explanation of everything, 
But folks, a miracle is something in the Bible. The Bible perspective of a miracle is something that has been done from God, either through Christ or the apostles or their appointee, for the purpose of confirming a message until all of the message has been confirmed and compiled and put together and made complete. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13, 8-10 is talking about. And then all of those things will cease. There's no longer any need because the message is complete. And if you're saying a miracle happened yesterday, you're saying that God lied and that his message isn't complete. There's something we don't know that we need to know. Folks, that's just false, that's just false doctrine. And all of these churches, I mean, the, the Mormon church, the Roman Catholic church, all believe in ongoing miracles, and that's why they have to have an ongoing an apostle. And that's, that's the, um, the uh, with Peter, uh, the succession of the Pope, that's where that doctrine comes. They have to have a succession of an apostle because they're claiming all these miracles, and that's how they justify changing their doctrines. And the same thing is true with the, the Mormon church prophet. The reason they have to have a prophet is to justify their use of the miracle. And the prophet is, keeps changing. I mean, look at the first book of Mormon in 1830 edition to the later. You've got, you got 3,914 changes in the Book of Mormon. So how do they justify that? Well, God has to correct his teaching. New prophecy. New prophecy. So that's a, it takes a miracle to do that, to confirm it. So in order to do that, you have to have a prophet. With the Roman church, you have to have an apostle, which is the pope, the succession of Peter. So all of these things are based on the false premise that our word, our scriptures are not complete, they're not final, that there's something left that we don't know about. Folks, I don't know what it is. First Peter says that everything pertaining to life and godliness has been revealed. You want to see that? Yes. I guarantee it's there. I'll, I'll guarantee that. I don't know. i got to find it. I'm hoping that will give God time to put it in there real quick. <laughs> Probably um, uh, go over to Second Peter, I guess. <clears throat> Hopefully, it's there by the time I get there. Okay. Second Peter, chapter one. So that's why we are committed to standing on the Word and the Word alone, because only in the Word do we have a complete completeness of the message. We don't deviate from it. That's why we have to use the original to make sure that we don't allow uh, the translators to cause us to deviate from what is true. Notice this now. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you all, but that's a corporate pronoun, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us most everything, what does it say? Everything. Granted to us everything 
Now, what's left out of everything? Explain it to me. Everything pertaining to life and God-likeness. Everything has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How has, it, how that, has that taken place? Through knowing truly God and has called us by his own glory and excellence. And then he says in verse 4, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now he's speaking to his audience. The us and the has been the apostles. Now he's talking about the people, the people to whom he's addressing. So by, the, by them, through us, you, have, you are able to become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And then he goes on and gives us all the process by which this has happened. Everything, everything there is for you to know about life and God-likeness is right there. It's written to the scattered Jews, and he's telling them what the apostles have received, but the effect of it to the people who listen to them. That's why they change the pronouns. <clears throat> if you don't, what if what if you don't make an, uh, a change of pronouns? What if you don't catch that? What's the difference between us and you? Well, in this room, a couple thousand years in this case. Yeah, yeah, a couple thousand years. And whenever you have a first-person plural and a second-person plural, then you have two groups. And when they're separated by a thousand miles, as he was to the people to whom he was writing, you know, there's a geographic, topographical separation between he and the people. So when he's talking about us, he's talking about we as a group, the apostolic group, the apostolic authority. And now what has come from us to you is going to enable you to become partakers of the divine nature just as we have been enabled ourselves. People have got to start paying attention to what they read. And I'm going to get really mean about that. You know, and let me give you one more illustration. We've been through this before, I think. I, I don't know. Look at the Ephesians. <clears throat> Why are there Presbyterians? Well, the, the reason there are Presbyterians... I have a lot of friends that are Presbyterian. They don't like me on this. <clears throat> I think we've done this recently, but let's go through it again. Just to show you that you've got to pay attention to the pronouns. People are putting themselves into the wrong group, and then they wonder why they have to coerce or manipulate something to make it fit, because they're not in the right group. <clears throat> Most of the time, you're not in the you. Most of the time, you're not in the us. You've got to know that. <clears throat> and it's simple in the text. But look at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to lead you astray here for a while. <clears throat> now, first of all, he identifies himself as an apostle in verse 1. And then he tells us who he's writing to in verse 1. Who is it? 
all right, to the saints that are located in Ephesus. The ones who are what? Faithful in Christ. Oh, the ones who are faithful. That's who he's writing to. And he says, now, to you all, grace. Now, <clears throat> starting with verse 3, follow with me quickly. Blessed or to speak well of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now, don't put yourself in that us. I'm going to show you why. And verse 4, just as he chose whom? Oh, you see why I said <clears throat> the Episcopalian and the, and the Presbyterians all believe in predestination? See, that don't put yourself in the us. It's not talking about you. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Therefore, folks, you don't have anything individually to do with it. You were chosen, and, and when it's the right time, God will unilaterally pounce the element of truth into your gizzard, and you'll do the right thing. Don't put yourself in the us. You're never in the us. Whether it comes to prayer or anything else, you're never in the us. And he predestined us in verse 5. He predestined whom? And notice verse 4, which he freely bestowed on verse 6. Us. Us. <clears throat> in whom? In him, verse 7, who has redemption? We, that's equal to the us. Verse 8, which he lavished on whom? Us. All past tense, by the way. Verse 9, he has made known, he has made known to whom? Us, the mystery of his will. Who had been made known about the mystery of God's will? Not you, the apostles. That was their, they, they, they were the executors of the will. Don't put yourself in there. That's what Calvinists do, but we're not there. Verse 11, also, who has obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose? Who's The we. It's the same as the us and the we. It is because of the change of uh, part of speech there. The pronoun is, is still first-person plural. To that end, we who were the first. Oh, now we get a clue again that the we isn't talking about joy, and it's not talking about Kay. It's not talking about Alex. It were. It was. It is referring to those who were first to hope in, in uh, to hope in Christ. Now, in verse thirteen, we have. What happens in verse 13? You. Oh, now we have a what? A change of pronoun. pronoun. Now you can pick, now you have learned about the apostles. Now you're going to learn about you. Look at verse 13. In him, what? You. Also, 
Why would we have to put the word also in there? Because it's two groups. Because it's two groups. Two actions. Two what? Two actions. Two actions? Two separate actions, two separate groups. Two separate actions, two separate groups. So in him now, you also. Do you see that? He would not add that also if you were included in everything he had been saying. Now he's going to tell you the things that you are included in. And until we get to verse 13, you don't have a clue and don't put yourself in verses 1 through 12. To do so is putting yourself into an illusionary place. We don't need an illusionary faith. In him, you also, after you have done what to the message of truth? And then you've done what with it? You have believed it. Believing is, you've taken action. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So you notice what happens now is a result of what had happened to the apostles, and now he's talking about the church at large. Very simple. So the same thing is happening uh, in our text in Acts chapter 3. It happens throughout the scriptures. Whenever you don't don't, uh, discern the use of pronouns, you're going to go off on tangents. That's why people believe in a rapture. The Bible is so clear in Thessalonians that the rapture belongs to whom? To the apostles. They were raptured. And they were. Just to be clear, the Holy Spirit promised that that is Abraham. That's a promise made to Abraham, correct? Well, I think that's primarily it. Without getting into... Uh, with um, if you were to look in, in the Greek, but then it takes us too far away for today. But that's a good it's point. A deep enough rabbit hole today. Yeah. So you 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 were and it is uh, you were as a result of having heard the message and having obeyed the gospel. You know the message of truth. You got three things. They believed it. They had they had heard it. They had believed it. And and then what had taken place with those corporately is that they had been sealed where? In him. In him. So there's a whole new subject opens up here in Ephesians chapter 1 that is all of these things are when you are in him. And that's, um, that's a whole different theme. So to be positioned in Him, because that's what as that's what God and the through through the apostles has sealed by the holy by the the Spirit of promise, and He's not talking about a separate entity there. He's talking about the Spirit of promise that's talked about in Acts two thirty eight, and you you will receive the promise of the the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. It isn't the Spirit that you receive; it's what He provides. And when, where do we find the provision of the Spirit? Where do we find it? In the Word. 
in Him. Now we're in the Word, but in Him. See, it's in Him. And so that's what God has predestined now, and when we become a part of what He has predestined, we share. Listen to this now. We share in the destiny of that to which we belong. Get that down, and don't forget it. You share in the destiny of that to which you belong. Is that the inheritance? And that's that's the inheritance. If so, if we're not, if we're a part of what God has predestined through the apostles, and we are in that, in in Him, we share in that destiny. That's the promise made to Abraham, Genesis twelve. So that statement answers the question of of someone now sitting in this room perhaps reading this and understanding who we, us, they, and all of that are and asking the question, where do I fit in? How does this apply to me? Where do, where do I come in? That's right. That we've answered that question. And isn't that really the problem, Dave? It is the problem. Yeah. It is the problem. I, it's a big. It's a big problem. There's other problems too, but it's the biggest one. It's the big one because everything <laughs> springs off of it, and that there's where you get into the tulip thing. You know, if if you don't have man right, you can't get Jesus right. You can't get him right. So if man is not capable and man is depraved, as is taught in all of the denominational systems, then um, you, that's all, then you have to be predestined because you don't have any, you don't have, if you are depraved, you have no means of responding to the gospel without a unilateral action. And that's what people could get out of Ephesians chapter 1, and it's not there. Uh, and people could get out of miracles, too. Yeah. Speaking of predestination, you believe that we have a choice. We have a choice. Mm-hmm. And we can be a part of that which is predestined. What God has predestined is the body, mm-hmm. the church, mm-hmm. built by the apostles. And... Um, the word of truth is our access to it and our response to that word of truth, believing it and obeying it. We enter into that which is predestined, and, uh, but we have a choice. And the choice is based on what we do with what we hear. You know, a lot of, a lot of folks hear a lot of stuff, but they, you know, if they don't do the right thing, they're never there. God has predestined the body, not the individual. That's right. And that's what Ephesians chapter 1, which we didn't take time. And that outside of the box. You can't do what? And, and what's outside of the box. Well, yeah. Those two things. Yeah, you're, and there is no forgiveness outside of the body. There's no grace outside of the body. There are none of the things that we think we have because we're good people. But there's nothing. We have none, no access to anything that God has provided outside of where he has put it. And he has put it all in his body because that's the habitat of God. 
Look at Ephesians 1, well, the next chapter, the very same chapter. Look at verses 21 and 22. He put all things in, uh, in this is Ephesians 1, 22. He put all things in subjection under his feet, gave him his head over all things to what? The to the church, which is the lodge. Over all things to the church, which is his body, and it is his body, and it is the fullness, the completeness of him who fills all in all. So everything that pertains to God is found where? In the church. In the church. So why then would Satan want to do anything to defile you know, let me give you a story that, again, I think I'm being repetitive here. But here we have, uh, um, we have a prize. And um, let's just say that it's um, uh, um, let's say it's a bar of gold. It's, it's I'm going to borrow this from Abner because he's got all the gold. But we're going to take his bar of gold and. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, we got paper. Oh, you got oh. Well, I can't use Abner then. <laughs> but anyway, so we have a bar of gold anyway, and we want to hide it. And so we go out to the woods, and uh, <laughs> it's reminding me of two two new stories, but. We haven't got time for that. Anyway, we go out to the woods and we find all these trees. Well, I'm just going to pick out a tree and I'm going to bury this gold bar under this tree. So we bury it all nice in there, tuck it away, you know, pet it a little bit and give it a little message of hope. And then, what you know, I have to think, you know, i got to put a ribbon around this tree. I will never know where it is. I'll never be able to find this tree. So I put a yellow ribbon around this tree, you know, a nice bowl, beautiful ribbon. Now, what does the devil do? Ribbons around all of the trees. Yeah, what he does, he comes along, and he puts a ribbon around all the trees. Same color. Same color. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. Why does he do that? Because, but has it changed which tree? Has the prize? No, it doesn't that. That's what the devil has done in the thinking of people regarding churches. Christ has built his church wearing his name, his terms of salvation. All of the requirements are in the New Testament for his church. That's the prize. But the devil has come along and put a yellow ribbon around all of them. They're all kind of close, but not the truth. They've, they've all got roots, and they're all trees. But you see, it doesn't have the prize. And it won't do you a bit of good. You'll never find your pot of gold. That's what's wrong with denominationalism and sectarianism. It has perverted the whole view that God had that's being carried out in Acts chapter 2 and 3, right where we are in Acts, 
That's what God is doing. This is the expression of his whole dream of 4,000 years of history to get us here. And now that we have it here, and it is clear, we have perverted it and put a ribbon around everything that the devil creates. We put a ribbon around uh, Methodism. We put a ribbon on Jehovah's Witnessism. We put a ribbon on Presbyterianism. We put a ribbon on everything that is made by man. And by we know that's not a false claim because all of these churches were made by man. They didn't exist until the third century. They've all been begun by man. So it was Satan's means of getting us away from his body where the fullness of God dwells. It is his habitat. Folks, of all things today, we must return to the church as it was in the New Testament. We must be committed to it, to Christ and his church all the days of our life because Satan has created every false way. He wants you to be close enough to think that you've got confidence, Mm -hmm. but not enough to go all the way. You have to be in the right place because you share in the destiny of that to which you belong. If it was made by man, it's not going anywhere, no matter how big, no matter how wonderful it is. If it's not made by God, it's not going anywhere. So today is the day for everyone to make a decision that I'm going to go with what God has done, what God has made. That is what I'm going to be committed to, Christ and his church for all the days of my life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these moments of explaining some things beyond our text today. But may it teach us about our own hearts. And our commitment to you is that we want our hearts to be right with you. And we want our thinking to be right. But first of all, our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.